Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast and I'm your host Scott Wiley and this episode is about the Jean-Claude Van Damme film Cyborg. The film was released in 1989 and it had a budget of $500,000 and it made roughly $10 million. So I think it's safe to call this a financial success, which is impressive considering that this film was essentially born out of a disastrous situation where two other films were never going to come in at their budget, so they were left in a situation where they cannibalized corpses and created this rather weird and outlandish film. Director Albert Pune basically pitched this as a way to utilize the sets and recoup the money that had already been spent. Canon Films, being the distributor, naturally went for this as they were well known to, uh, shall we say, being very, very thrifty with their money. We're going to talk all about that stuff very, very shortly. And my returning guest for this week is Rob Antiquera. You know him, you love him. He will reintroduce himself for those of you who perhaps are listening to the first time or missed his previous appearance on Invasion USA, but if you're listening to this, perhaps you will enjoy that episode as well, so feel free to go backwards in time and check that out. Another Canon Films classic, that one starring the legendary Chuck Norris. Not much more needs to be said about this particular film, folks, because let's be honest, Jean-Claude Van Damme does not need much of an introduction. He is one of the biggest action icons. He is right up there with the Schwarzeneggers, the Stallones, and he was a king of his own little era for a considerable amount of time, when you really think about it. He came in in the late 80s and pretty much managed to stick around until the late 90s in terms of being box office material that was reliable. And he continued to make decent, and sometimes very good, direct-to-DVD or direct-to-VHS material going forward after a series of not-so-great films. Uh, we actually go into that a little bit in this episode. We kind of go off on a bit of a tangent about Van Damme's career. Uh, it was originally just a, a mini a mini divergence, and then we ended up just kind of going off about some of his uh, behind-the-scenes antics of the 90s, which in turn kind of led to his downfall and the fact that whenever he does have a moment of coming back up, a lot of the times he kind of self-sabotages what good things are going on for him. In some respects, similar to Sylvester Stallone, but for Stallone it's more of an up-and-down trajectory specifically with his films. He tends to release some good ones followed by some bad ones because the people around him feed his ego and he just does whatever he likes instead of pulling it back or trying to prove that he can do something and yeah if you actually look into the stories of a lot of those films there's usually a reason why some of them didn't work out the way perhaps everybody wanted them to and then of course you've got the famous one of stop on my mom will shoot which wasn't even his idea to do he was kind of tricked into that one by Schwarzenegger but that's a story for a whole nother time that I one day 
look forward to covering. So, with that said, guys, I'm going to hand you over to myself and Rob to talk about Cyborg. It is a long one. I do apologize. Just remember, you don't have to listen to this all in one go. I, I know some people, they look at a two-hour-and-something podcast and they're afraid, and I understand that, but just take breaks. I, I listen to so many podcasts that go on for an eternity, I don't listen to the ball in one go. Listen to it at your own pace. It's It's entirely fine to do that. So either way, I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you soon for the outro. Take it away, past me. Hello, and we're back. And I'm going to stop trying to thank myself for giving myself an intro, because I think I say the same thing practically every week. So (laughs) enough of that. And uh, we are back today with Rob from the Cinema Junkies. And I have to keep correcting myself mentally to not say the action junkies. Why did you rebrand, damn it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> On the bright side, at least you didn't have a catchy theme song that gets stuck in people's head like I do. Because if you if you had a song that I was humming away to, I'd never be able to remember that you've changed. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. But uh, thanks for having me back on, brother. I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we always have a blast with you and uh, ready to talk some awesomeness on the Action Addicts podcast. Yes. That, 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 song, that song is catching up, I got to say. Yeah, I've got um, some friends IRL that listen to the show. And even when I'm, I, I'm not the type of person that, that to every single guy I meet or every single woman I meet, I'm like, oh, by the way, I have a podcast. Would you like to listen to it? Um, mm. But they always bring it up, and it's like I, I don't mention a film, I don't mention anything, and then they'll just turn to me and be like, "I've got your damn theme song in my head," <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, it means you're listening, so I'll take it." <laughs> I hear that. But uh, yes, we're here to talk about the first Jean Claude Van Damme film for the podcast. Originally, I wasn't going to pick this to be the one that kicks us off with Van Damme, but to be honest, it's one that I've not seen in an exceptionally long time before I actually rewatched it for the show, and it's also one that I remember really liking, and uh, it's an Albert Pune one, which at the moment, he seems to be having something of a comeback, I think, um, which is a daft thing to say, but Everybody seems to be rediscovering his work. Everybody seems to be reevaluating it. Maybe a lot of people who've never seen an Albert Pion film are giving it a go for the first time. I did have to laugh, though, because when I put Cyborg in, because I have the 88 films Blu-ray, which is the other reason I really wanted to rewatch this so I could finally see it in high definition. And then the Canon logo came up and I thought, oh, no. Rob is becoming our Canon Films guy. (laughs) Invasion USA was also Canon. (laughs) It's all good, it's all good. I I love me some Canon, so I don't mind. But uh, yeah, uh, I gotta agree. Like it's it's neat to see like the Punisans go on. You know, I'm saying the Albert Punisans, people discovering uh, his work for the first time. uh, You know, and just discovering the the glory that is Albert Pune. Uh, is just a wonderful, wonderful thing to see on the timeline. You know, everybody's in there. I know our, our buddy uh, Brandon. He uh, discovered the Nemesis movies, and uh, that that was joyous. You know, because Nemesis is one of my all-time favorites as well. And this one is as well. Um, 
So uh, you- just just to interrupt you, just so you know, I've never seen Nemesis. Oh, dude, you gotta um, watch Nemesis. I- I'm Nemesis going. Is- I'm going to. Uh, in the UK, it's on Amazon Prime. It's it's queued up. It's ready to go. It was just that um, it was basically going to be Cyborg or Nemesis, and I decided that we needed to. I needed to get Van Damme ticked off, so Cyborg won in the end. But Nemesis will also be coming. Yeah, yeah. Me, me, and Mac were going to do Nemesis a while ago, and then um, uh, our schedule got flooded, and we just didn't do it. But we're going to come back around to it eventually because I definitely want to talk to Nemesis. Nemesis is <laughs> one of my all-time favorites. The I Nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um I have you seen his uh his sword and sorcery film? Yes, yes. I love sword and sorcery. Yeah, that but, I uh, that I have seen. Um I didn't even know that that's whose filmography I was watching when I watched it. I was just kind of going through a sword and sorcery phase. I rewatched the original Conan sometime last year. And then it made me realize how much I missed those type of films. So I was trying mm. to track down all of those types I could find. And that was one of them. And I remember thinking that that one stood out as being up there, in my opinion, with the Conan films. So I definitely think that that Albert has a style and he had something. I mean, I watched one of the um, like the mini docs and the special features of the Blu-ray and someone called him. He he's he's got the spirit of James Cameron, but none of his budget. <laughs> that 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 is a, a perfect description of the career of uh, <laughs> you know, it definitely is. Like it, it was, it's always it, that's always bothered me too. Like you know, because he he has very art, artistic tendencies. You know, like his like when when you listen to especially uh, I know we'll get into it when his original idea for Cyborg, what he wanted to do. And obviously, he, uh, Cannon wasn't going to let him do that. But, the, you know, like when you listen to like the, the kind of stuff that he wants to do and then the shit he just ends up being able to do due to the, the lack of budget he has on many of his movies. I don't, I don't think that man ever had a, a budget that was maybe sort of sorcery, probably something in, uh, radioactive dreams, but like every, every everything else has just been drastically underfunded. In, yeah. in his filmography when the when the film opens and and this is leading into my, my mentioning the budget but i because again i hadn't seen this film for a long time i knew it was rated 18 but i couldn't genuinely remember much in my head as to why it was so highly rated and then i put it on and you have that opening shot of the broken landmark the destroyed bridge this completely obliterated city that looks like it was ripped out of Terminator's future. Mm-hmm. And there's the narration of that guy who's giving you your standard post-apocalyptic, there was a plague, people died, the war. And it was like giving you all this generic stuff. And then he was like, but I like it this way. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that, I like that. That was different. And then literally the next shot is of the zoom in, the broken city is now quite clearly there. It's not a map painting, but there's a woman crucified on a cross, completely naked, dead, and very much mutilated. And I'm like, I don't remember this, but now I see why it's 18 rated. <laughs> yeah. Very, very cannibal Holocaust. Uh, yes. <laughs> very cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> and uh, I must admit, I paused it at that exact moment 
because the whole vibe reminded me of uh, post-apocalyptic British sci-fi television series, like the barbed wire, the sandbags. It looked like a war had broken out at some point or there had been all of this history was baked into the set design. And I really liked that. And I thought this, uh, this is surprising me because because in the back of my brain, I was thinking, I remember people saying that that his films tend to have small budgets. So I whilst I was watching it, I Googled how much it was. And the film had a budget of five hundred thousand dollars. And I went, what? <laughs> yeah. how, how did they even achieve this with what was essentially nothing, especially in the 80s? Like films yeah. cost millions. They don't cost hundreds of thousands. Yeah, yeah. I know um, the, 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 the sets were already built because it was a combination of two movies that yeah. Kenan was planning on doing, which was uh, Spider-Man uh, and I, I, I weep to, to think that we lost. I would have loved to have seen what a, a canon group Spider-Man film would have looked like. Well, it um, wasn't just canon. It was going to be Albert's Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. As well as uh, Masters of the Universe 2. Yes. And uh, so, like, the, the film is a combination of the, the, the leftover sets from what was going to be uh, Masters of the Universe 2 as well as Spider-Man. So it's like, you know, just 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 use it, use it. You know what I'm saying? You could I could just picture Monopoly just sitting there like, just use it, use it, whatever. Come on. We can't let the money go to waste. And then like, you know, yeah. poor Albert having to put together whatever fucking story that just came to mind. And it's just like, all right, all right, I got this, I got this, we could use this for this, we could use that for that. And uh, all right, all right, do it. And he's like, okay. And that's how we got cyborg. Yeah, because in the documentary, they, they mentioned that Canon was still adamant of making the other two films. And it was Albert who basically pitched them Cyborg and was like, I can make this happen with the crappy money that you've got left. And, mm. you know, we can't, the other two films are going to be shite, basically. Mm -hmm. And it would have been, let's be honest. I yeah. mean, never mind. I mean, Spider-Man, I would, again, I would have liked to have seen. But yeah, a Masters of the Universe 2 no Dolph Lundgren, none of the original cast, even less of a budget. No, I don't think that would have been an, a, a hit somehow. <laughs> right, right. Did, 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 did you hear who they were going to replace the Dolph with in Masters of the Universe 2? It, is it not the guy that plays the villain in this film? No. Um, it was from what I read, if I remember correctly, it was going to be Laird Hamilton, the surfer. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that that was um, that was a choice. That yeah. was a, a definite choice. <laughs> you know, blonde guy, buff. You know, but it's I, I guess you know it makes sense. But yeah, um, that would have been interesting to say the least to see that if if that would have eventually happened. But uh, yeah, it, it, like you said, I, I think it would have been a fucking mess. <laughs> So that's the backstory, folks, and that's why Cyborg is kind of this hodgepodge of strangeness, I think is the nicest way of putting it. Yeah. Like I said, it opens to this very much destroyed, derelict wasteland of a city, um, very much channeling Fallout before Fallout was even a thing, which I found quite amusing. And dare I say, maybe a tad more realistic than people would like to believe that when all the law and order is gone and it's just the... Uh, survival of the fittest the 
not so intelligent people rise to the surface and the horrific things this film shows you and gives a very clear indication has happened previously yeah that's probably more along the lines of what we get than a, a nice clean post-apocalypse shall we say where yes everything is uh, dirty and everything is broken but somehow society is still pretty much the same it just now looks like the wild west i think this one's more realistic where no we don't suddenly relearn our survival skills we just everything just breaks and we just you know eke out a meager existence quite frankly if you don't get killed and put on a cross yeah that is true that is true uh it's 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 definitely like it's another funny thing that uh, you brought up like uh another candid film i'm doing but this is another film that's just like where it feels like it's just it's weird to watch now because you know we're in the middle of a fucking pandemic and shit and everything's going to shit and of course, uh, the the world went to shit in this movie due to a plague, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and you know the plot is that, uh, and I always I always find it funny like because I, I saw that his original title for the film was Slinger because that's who Van Damme's character Gibson Rickenbacker, which which is a fantastic name. Um, he uh he he is a slinger, which is basically someone who smuggles people out of the city and protects them from the pirates who uh uh play by uh, uh Vincent Clinton, I believe is his is how you pronounce his last name, I'm not sure. And which is weird too, because I've know I've known that guy's face and his work all my life and I still don't know how to pronounce his last name correctly. <laughs> but um but uh, that makes sense than Cyborg because the, the, the Cyborg is basically like a MacGuffin, so it really doesn't matter. It's all about uh, Gibson fighting Fender. And like, it, this is, you know, the Cyborg is basically the, the, the element that brings both together in this, you know, fucking revenge plot, if you will. Yeah. And it's just like, um, it's, 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 it's a weird thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're in the middle of a pandemic when we talk about a move on a plague, and then we were talking about Invasion USA, you know what I'm saying, dealing with all that shit. It's like, like Scott, you gotta stop putting me on this movie that hits you close to home. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in my defense, uh, the way I remember this film and the way it actually plays out turned out to be very different. Um, I honestly couldn't remember that much about this film. I know I, it is one that I watched years ago, and it is one of the ones we had on VHS, but it it wasn't one I rewatched to death like Bloodsport and Kickboxer and Universal Soldier. So my memories of this was basically all of the good parts in inverted commas, as in the fight scenes and all of the sequences with the big uh, set designs where you get those striking landmarks. But the actual story and how, like you say, close to home it is and the barbarism of the, the bad guys and how adult it is in places. No, I didn't remember any of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like like I was said, this this uh, I was the opposite because this is one of the ones I I watched a lot. Um, like I, I even told you, like when we were discussing doing this, when you said you were going to be watching because uh, number one you hadn't seen it in a while, but also you wanted to take advantage of the fact that uh, you had the, the the Blu-ray and you wanted to check it out. And I was like, I'm actually not going to rewatch it because I've seen it enough. I could literally discuss this movie off memory alone. Like it's permanently burned into my brain every image of this movie because I watched this relentlessly as a kid, 
which is you know like i was saying uh uh on um our, our episode on robocop 2 that me and my brother just did on cinema junkies was like my parents was just so free with the you know i couldn't watch i couldn't watch no naked ladies in the movie like if breast showed up in the movie cover your eyes but uh Everyone getting ripped to shit and blood flying everywhere was perfectly fine with my parents, you know. So I was, I was just sitting there free watching the uh, Robocop and Total Recall and Cyborg, which and then they were just like, okay, that's fine, you know. It's, uh, it's Van Damme, he's, you know, he's doing karate and shit. That's that's not a that's not a big deal. But like, you know, you have mutilated people and you know severed heads everywhere and shit, and it's like my parents just like, okay, you know. But uh, I will say, though, that uh, another reason why I watched this one a lot was this is my mother's, actually my mother's favorite Van Damme movie. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're big Van Damme fans in my, in, in, in my house growing up. Uh, my father was a big Van Damme guy. My mother's a big Van Damme uh, woman. You know, and of course, I became Van Damme person myself. He's, to this day, my all-time favorite action hero. She she particularly I like to point out she particularly likes the scene in the sewer with the, that yes. iconic moment with the with the split that that is that is her favorite Van Damme moment in the movie which is probably why she likes the movie because she just you know loves that scene and uh, that that uh, that scene stuck out to me the whole sewer sequence stuck out to me as a massive highlight of the film but I also had to chuckle because I I made notes. And that, and that shot of him doing the splits is just iconic. But also it made me chuckle because it's like 20 years before Splinter Cell would ever be a thing. And yet they absolutely nailed Sam Fisher's Splinter Cell split kick along the wall moment and then yeah. got a kill, sort of. And I just thought that, that this film does so much right. And I, and I know for a fact it got panned at the time. And you just think, I, I bet audiences would react differently if this film had came out a few years later compared to when it actually came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. It's, um, I can just imagine it's just like, you know, the kind of like a lot of this movie calls, you know what I'm saying? Because it is kind of like grimy. And I mean, it makes sense too, because the world they're living in, in, the, in within the story, it makes sense that the movie is itself feels grimy and dirty. You know, but uh, like, yeah, you could you could see that being off putting to some people because it's 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 a relentlessly grim tone. Like yeah. this movie, this movie is relentlessly grim from beginning to end. Like even even you know spoilers for you know almost forty year old movie. Even though the the good guys win per se, it's not necessarily a like a joyous win because it's because no, I. I... I actually made a note of even though they win, this is not yeah. a happy ending. This is this is just survival. That's all this film is. Yeah, most definitely, like even you can sense that even Gibson knows that, that at the end, where like they get Pearl to the city and she's like, "Stay with us." And he's like, "They need us up," you know. Yeah, and just you know, back back into the gutter he goes because this is where he belongs, which is very Mad Max, you know. The but I, I always, you know, so that's one thing I always appreciate. Like, you know, not no surprise, happy ending where everything is joyful and the city saved. It's just like, okay, we got you there. Whatever happens after this happens, but you know, the world still sucks. You know, when we leave it, when we when we leave, when the movie leaves us off, it, it's still shit. You know, and it's just like, yeah, 
basically, you know. Well, yeah, because no matter what happens, uh, even if they do manage to come up with a cure, it's not going to change things yeah. overnight. It's not going to re. It's not going to rebuild everything. They're not going to get it out to everybody. And even if they do, uh, there's no guarantee that the societies and the you know the wastelands uh, that are out there are going to want to change. You know that was pretty much the driving force of of our main villain was the fact that he didn't want the world to go back the way it was because the way it is now he can do what he likes and he's in charge. And why would he want it to change? It was which is the, the, his whole thing was. He he wanted to own the cure because he felt like it would make him a god to everyone else. Like he's basically the king of of this whole entire uh, desolate land. But owning the cure that everyone would seek would basically make him godlike in their eyes. You know what I'm saying? It's just like pure fucking evil yeah. shit. Which is uh which I which I like um I, I like all that stuff the the way Fune incorporated all that stuff into there. Particularly between him and Gibson, um, I mean, it's not so subtle the religious um, aesthetic he put in there. Uh, we obviously, we're, yeah, <laughs> like you know, when we first see uh, Fender in Gibson's flashbacks, he's got the he's wearing the upside down cross as an earring. You know, uh, do you get it? Do you get it? What's that? What that's implying? You know. Well, I mean, not being funny, he looks demonic yes. anyway with yeah. his eyes. I mean, I, that especially when he actually starts fighting at various points in the film, he looks so unnatural and inhuman. Yeah. Um, some of that is his performance. Some of that is the the prosthetic and the makeup. But a lot of that is just it's just achieved with the contacts and his facial yeah. expression. And also I the mean, fact that the man is it, built like a brick shit house. When we find when he takes that, that's always bothered me. I, I want to point that out. That always bothered me that. This this world they live in is obviously fucking like a desolate land, and it's is like all almost all desert, and it's like it looks incredibly hot. But he's like wearing all this shit, you know. Like he's got like he's got like mm. uh, chain. He's yeah, got chain yeah, mail. He's got like chainmail. He's got these big ass fucking shoulder pads and all that shit, and he's got like a fucking scarf, and he wears a cape, and it's like, dude, you're not hot wearing all that shit. <laughs> it's like. This shit is ridiculous. Yeah. And they're all wearing fucking big jackets no. and coats and sweaters and shit. Like, oh my God, like, how have you not died of dehydration with a lot of you? To be fair, I did kind of um, stop thinking like that because every single member of his crew was either ridiculously buff and muscular and toned or... They were, you know, in the female's case, every single one was a supermodel with a bit of dirt thrown yeah. on her. And all of them were at the peak of physical human condition. Van Damme was exactly the same as was the, you know, the woman that would accompany him on his travels. And my brain was like, where are you finding the sustenance and to maintain all of this? Because you make a point of saying, oh, we can't drink that much water and you know, you hardly ever see them eat. And it's like, but yet somehow Van Damme can maintain biceps twice the size of Nina's yeah. whole body. You know? Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> they, they, no matter, as, as all this is going on, they still manage to find time to fucking work out. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. where's the fucking, where's the gym y'all going to in this world and shit? Like, how do y'all maintain this buffness? Like, yeah, they, they're all fucking, like, all the men and the women, like, 
there, there may be like one or two dudes in Fender's crew that are just like, like not as buff, but like everybody else is like ridiculously buff. I mean, I guess that was just yeah, but the 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 ones that aren't buff are are also the ones that later on will do all the acrobatic martial yeah. arts stuff. So again, they're not buff, but they're still physically like yeah, yeah. peak. Yeah. You know, there there isn't somebody running along with a. Uh, who looks like a stick figure that's actually been in a wasteland without any food. There isn't anybody that's, you know, put on a, a stomach because they're just chilling and, you know, on a chair all day because they got nothing to do. It's just every single person is buff. And yeah, I can see what they were going for, obviously, because everybody's lived these harsh, hard lives mm-hmm. and whatever. But yeah, like you say, these days that's harder to believe because you know how difficult that actually is to yeah. maintain even when you have access to everything right absolutely <laughs> you know they, they sit in there the uh i guess they get in the exercise and shit when they're killing everybody you know because they uh, they kill a ridiculous amount of people um that whole uh when they when they take the boat and they massacre an entire village oh. like that, that 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 one moment where um they hold the, the they're stealing the boat and they the the pirates sort of like hold that dude's mouth open as Fender takes the stick and like they don't show it but like just the the the, the thought of him smashing the dude's uh, teeth in with the stick like that is always bothered even as a kid I was just like uh dude that's Grody. Yeah, do you know it's funny. I I think I I know why in inverted commas, but it 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 made me chuckle when I was watching it because right at the beginning a guy gets his head cut off. At first, I thought he just had his throat slit, but obviously they then revealed, no, 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 he cut his head off because he's carrying mm-hmm. it around with him. But they don't show you that. They cut away from it, but they're more than happy to show you the mutilated corpses on the crosses. And I was like, that's yeah. weird. And I thought originally it was like this weird, you know, like, oh, it, it's fine to show naked, mutilated bodies, if it, it, but, you know, heaven forbid we get a close-up of some blood. Then I realized as the film went on, it wasn't that at all. It was just they didn't have the budget to do the effects of having your yeah. throat slit or having your teeth smashed mm. in with a log. Because other shots, they show you in great detail how they're fucking somebody <laughs> up. Like, And I was like, oh, wow, okay, that was way more gruesome than I thought it was yeah. going to be. And then other times they cut away, and I was like, oh, it's got to be a budget thing. Because, um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I love it. Um, the other thing I noticed as well, which... I, I honestly think I can count on one hand how many American-made films do this, is they're living in a post-apocalypse where healthcare is no longer a thing. They don't have perfectly white American teeth. <laughs> like, wow, I don't think I can even name another film that does yeah. that. They actually have decayed yeah. teeth and not perfect faces, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. Like, a lot of their teeth are all jack fuck up like dirty and brown you know and I, I i've always wondered that when you see it like other t- types of movies like this like how, how do how do they maintain those perfectly white teeth and then uh you see this and it's just like yeah well you know at least they got that you know like you you could imagine like oh like everybody's teeth would be fucked up and like majority everybody's teeth um van damme seems to still keep his pearly whites but uh, everybody else's teeth are jacked Oh yeah, but uh, you 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 can't expect the lead of the film to uh to to go yeah. that far. I mean, he's the star after all. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the another thing out uh 
did, did you hear about that uh, they tried to offer this to Chuck Norris first before they went with it? Yeah. Um, apparently, it was written for, for Chuck originally before Albert started rewriting it into Cyborg. And then they were like, uh, I think I can't remember because again it was on the it was on the um, special features and I can't quite remember what they said but somebody basically read the script and went oh we can't offer this to Chuck Norris <laughs> <laughs> and that's and then they were like hey what about that guy that just did Bloodsport I'm sure he won't mind all this crazy shit yeah yeah because I was I was thinking about that and I want to bring that up because it's like I uh, I definitely agree with that like they don't even bother um, offering it to him. Because he's definitely not doing this shit. Like, I can't even imagine Chuck being in a movie like this at all. Like, regardless of, like, how many violent movies he did, I can't imagine Chuck doing something like this. It's just... It's just... It was perfect Van Damme, like, because it came at that point in his career. Um, you know, uh, you know, he was right off Bloodsport, which, like, really just blew up. And then he had, what, uh, uh, Black Eagle... Um, which I think would did no, did, did did Black Eagle come first? Uh, well, before Cyborg. No, no, but before no, Blood no, it Sport. came at, it came after he... Bloodsport. I, what I think happened was that because you know Bloodsport sat on the shelf for a bit. Was um as as a sad uh he did Black Eagle, and then when Bloodsport came out, they they held on to it and released it afterwards. Um, to, to, oh, okay. to capitalize off the success that he just got, because they really after that word they really did start like you know Van Jean Claude Van Damme from Bloodsport. Like, can I tell you that? Because uh, I mentioned I mentioned last time I I used to watch that channel WBIX channel eleven, which showed these kind of, kind of movies. You know, it showed Bloodsport and this all the time, but it also showed Black Eagle, and, and uh, I'll send it to you later. But uh, they had like promos that they showed for Black Eagle as they were announcing it, and this is how I discovered it. And the promos are all like, Jean-Claude Van Damme, in, in, in a world where, like, you know, survival for the fittest reigns, and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, shit, I've never seen this Van Damme movie. And then I watch it, and he's like, he's barely in it, and it's a Shokasugi movie, and I'm like, the fuck is this? You guys don't <laughs> lie to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, the... Um, that's how gullible I was, you know what I'm saying? When something Van Damme came up, I was like, oh, I gotta see it. And then uh, I, I totally got fucking lied to and shit. But, um, yeah, uh, then uh, this came out, and then I think it was Kickboxer right afterwards. Um, where, and like, you know, you had that like tier thing where it was just like, you know, it was, it was really just because, you know, after Bloodsport came out, you know, everybody was like, that he really took advantage, you know, which which was, you know, uh, an exciting thing. Where it's like, you know, other actors, like, you know, even Seagal, he had, um, what was it, Above the Law come out. Or oh, I know it's Nico is over yeah. there for you, for you guys. Um, and then, like, we had to wait until 1990 to get Hard to Kill. You know, in that time span, fucking Van Damme hit us, like, boom, 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 boom. Like, you know, Bloodsport, Black Eagle, Cyborg, Kickboxer. You know, he really took advantage. Like that man was a machine uh, when it came into that early portion of his career before he went Hollywood. Um, but uh, Cyborg was the one that I feel like pushed him to that thing where it was like because he could have easily been tournament guy because of Bloodsport and Kickboxer, and um, 
Cyborg was the one that showed that he could be, you know, a conventional action hero, even though it's an unconventional movie. I, I think like the the throttle got pushed even farther into that realm with a uh, death warrant, where he's playing a cop. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah. I feel I feel like Cyborg was the one like that started him on the path. But it's just like no, he's not just martial arts guy, martial arts movie. He could be like you know a very conventional standard action hero for for audiences. That's probably why it it, it it's a lot special to me. You know what I'm saying? Like for that, you know what I'm saying? It's just like because you have people thinking like, oh, he just done he does the same thing over and over again. Which I'm like, no, the fuck he does not. He, like even when he was in the early stages of career, he didn't fucking do that. Just to look at Cyborg, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I I agree. I think Cyborg was probably a great prototype to show what Van Damme was capable mm. of. And I think that if this film had had a bigger budget, I think people would have been kinder to it because a lot of what was well, maybe not the American critics, but I think the rest of the world would have been kinder to it because um. I I think we responded better to how grimy and dirty it is and how broken the world is. Um, I'm, I know that like European cinema loves to do oh, that yeah. sort of stuff, you know, especially like, for example, you know, I'm sure French cinema was looking at this and thinking, oh, that looks like one of our films, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, or, or, or Italian. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that is one of the things at the end of the day. If it had a bigger budget, uh, I think the effects could have been better. And I also think... I don't know if this is just me, but uh, one of the things I made a note of, and again, we are jumping all over the place, but that's fine because, like I said, this this film, the story isn't really what's important. It's more just key moments, the execution of what happens. But there are quite a few fight scenes in this film, even though to call them fights isn't quite accurate because, as you say, it's not a fight film. It's more Van Damme trying to survive. And whilst I did enjoy them, I really wasn't sold on the editing. Um, they seemed very all over the place when it came to how they were edited. And I don't think that helped. Uh, even back then, I think people might have been a bit like, what? You know? Yeah, yeah most definitely. Also, um, in, in, uh, I noticed years ago, like because um, I watched it. I can't remember the last time I actually watched it. Um, it was definitely years ago, um, but uh, I noticed that it 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 definitely had uh in the fight scenes it definitely had a level of like the 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 that thing that has become a dirty word to us now and that's quick cuts. Yep. Yeah, like specifically in the fight scene where they're in like uh what is what is like the old warehouse thing and he's fighting like you know fucking guys when um. I, I will say though that like yeah it's quick cutty but like it, it Albert uses it in a way where it's just like like not just overtly just like awful looking like you see like you know well we see quick cuts in action movies and shit and it looks like shit because you know it's just like what the fuck is going on here you you you're making me just make bullshit like Albert seemed to know like how to use quick cuts like like well. I mean, but that that kind of goes to shit when you look at the how he used quick cuts in his Captain America movie. But it's like, damn, I didn't even know they were using quick cuts back then. You know what I'm saying? I don't even think they realized that, that they were kind of setting a trend all the way back then that would just completely deflate the, well, partially deflate the action genre as we know it and shit. And 
I'll, I'll be honest, uh, I really didn't like them. There were some of it worked, so, some of them worked, but I also felt that, that like you say, because they were kind of ahead of the ahead of their time, uh, it it very much was. There were random frames of things that were left in when they didn't need to. Some of the shots were literally cut so fast that it was like, why? Why, why did we need that random cut to just go back to what we were just looking at? It was like, yeah. I, could, I, could, I could see what he was trying to do, because as you say, it is the way that action films have gone in general. I just mm -hmm. think that the scenes that did better was like um, the very first fight against the... Uh, the military looking dudes with the black masks on their faces that yeah, yeah, fight's yeah. great and there's yeah, there's yeah. not that much quick editing but like you say in the warehouse especially like whenever van damme goes to do like a spinning kick and the camera does three cuts and you think he's just spinning guys i don't know why we're cutting <laughs> right 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 i do like the the one brief fight he has with uh matt mccomb uh, where they're on the fucking like walkway and they're running toward each other. Mm, yes. Uh, I, I do like that one a lot, even though, um, if you look closely, I, I remember this, if you look closely, you can see the, the blue padding that uh, Matt McComb is wearing, the stunt pads, the, when, when Van Damme kicks him onto the thing and breaks his neck with the, with his leg. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can see the blue pads underneath and shit to, for a To be moment. honest, I, I don't think I'd have paid him much attention because they're wearing such crazy outfits. I think I just assumed they were part of his costume. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. That is true. And also that awful wig they had Matt McCormick. It looked like some 80s hair metal band shit. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it was just as bad as the Van Damme wig he was wearing in all the flashbacks. Oh, my God. Yeah. The fucking oh, the ponytail wig shit they had him in. Oh, dude. Uh, why, why did you even let them do that to you? Uh, that that was like the worst thing ever. I, I think that's even worse wig than the one he had on in fucking uh, Double Team. With, yeah. Uh, wait, wait, he's at like the square and shit, and they got him in that spiky wig shit. Like that's awful. But that ponytail shit they had him in is like the worst thing ever. It, the funny thing for me was, is it actually made him look older in the flashbacks than he does in the entire film. It's like yes. that that wig just makes him look ridiculous and then they're like oh yeah this is supposed to be him when he was younger and it's like uh if you say so <laughs> right 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 absolutely <laughs> i also had to laugh because that actress the who plays the older sister in the, in the flashbacks that hires him she has such a stereotypical innocent accent and her whole demeanor is like doesn't fit that world at all she just feels like she rocked out of kansas or something and has no clue what's going on and i just made a little yeah. note that says yeah that was deliberate from the second she's on the screen with her two like siblings your brain is like oh i want to protect them they, they're so innocent and it's like she's not that innocent and she's not that young it's just it's just little subtle manipulation <laughs> yeah yeah most definitely and then, like, in hindsight, you know, uh, watching it now, you know, it's just a, oh, she's going to die. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, like, you watch enough of these movies and shit, like, you know, watching this now, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah we should have seen it coming, but uh, she's going to die. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. When, when they introduce somebody that's innocent, it's like, I want you to stay with us and I love you and all that stuff. It's like, oh, she's dead. She's dead, <laughs> pal. <laughs> Yeah, and we also meet uh, the other female sidekick for the film, 
and uh, who I think I eventually decided her name was Nina because I had a real problem trying to remember people's names with this one. I mean, I have got it up on IMDb, but just from the film itself, I think each character gets their name said like once. And it's like, if you yeah. don't memorize it, then they're never saying their name ever again. <laughs> That's true. Um, no, no, the only person's name who gets said more than once is Fender. That's yeah. all. That's that's basically like a few of Vandam's lives. Fender. Like, what, what are you after? Fender. I'm here for Fender. And it's like, okay, okay, we get it. His name is fucking Fender, dude. Relax. Exactly. Um, I like Nina. I, I liked her character. Um, I did have to uh, laugh at a few of the scenes that she has, some more so than others. But uh, her intro was kind of amusing because they have that conversation where she's like, why did you stay with me while I was unconscious? And he says that he, he feels sorry for her. And I just laughed because I thought you would not get that in an action film made in 2022 today. He, he'd say that and then she'd start spouting off how she doesn't need him to protect her and that uh, she can do everything for herself. And in, in fact, he should be thanking her for not killing him when they first met. <laughs> and I just chuckled because I was like, oh, it makes change to have a character that doesn't immediately start yelling at him as soon as he opens his mouth. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But I mean, I also like the fact that she was a she. She was a she was a bit uh, feisty one. She was tough and she she fought. You know what I'm saying? And yes. They they didn't have her completely be helpless. You know what I'm saying? She definitely does help him out, um, especially when he gets uh, crucified later in the movie. You know, so he definitely needed her. I like I like it's like a commando situation where it's like, um, where where they're not exactly like a love interest or like a damsel in distress where they're basically like a sidekick, you know, cause in commando, Cindy was a sidekick. She matrix in commando would not have accomplished what he accomplished without Cindy. Yeah. You know, and, and you could say the same thing for, for her in this one. Like he, 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 a lot of stuff he accomplished in this movie, he wouldn't have been able to do without her. And no. I, I like that. I like that a lot. No, that, that, that's what I've, I made a note. You know, she starts the film off without much agency, without much, real direction because she's from the village that we see get absolutely destroyed by yeah. Fender and she managed to survive. Um, so she's kind of like dealing with all of that. Everyone she knows is gone. And then she finds Van Damme and it, she's like, well, I might as well just stick with you then. And he tells her why. And basically if it wasn't for running into her, he'd have given up. He was like, oh, well, that's, that's it. Then they've got on a boat. Uh, you know, we're not going to catch him. And she's yeah. like, uh, no, we can still catch them. You're not even going to try. So from the word go, although physically she's not like Van Damme's equal or anything, like you say, she is the reason that he even tries because otherwise he'd just given up there and then. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Um, I like the fact as well, uh, later on, we, we go to that shanty town. He has a conversation with the bartender. And again, kind of driving home the fact that his character is given up I love the conversation between him and Mace, the bartender. And the, the bit that stuck out for me was when he was saying, you know, be careful, uh, put your knives on for the right reasons, because that line said so much without him having to give this really detailed speech about vengeance. And I was like, yeah, that's that's such a better way of you wouldn't get someone just stood there for ages you know, debating about whether or not it's right to go and kill someone. It's just, mm. yeah, yeah, I know you're going to kill him, but maybe get your head on straight first because you yeah. know otherwise you're not gonna you're not gonna get him and i was like yeah i like that um it's just a very matter of fact world you know everybody's used to killing in this place it's 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 
it's every day. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Yeah, I did. I, I like that. You know, because like you said, we 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 didn't really need like uh, a, a big speech from uh, um, uh, Van Damme's character. I, I, they probably didn't want to give him one anyway because of his accent. You know, I know that was a big problem for Roland Emmerich. Neverland on a Universal Soldier, and uh, they felt his accent um, got in the way of like what they were trying to accomplish. So they gave him fewer, fewer lines as as he went along. So that that probably may have played a part in it too. But I I think that that's always been a, a thing I uh, I had a problem with with people is this that I mean I I understand his accent is thick you know with Van Damme, but like like he he to me like. Me and Larry always talked about this, that we always felt that even from the beginning, Van Damme was a very good actor. It was just his accent keep gotten away, you know. Um, and, and it showed and stuff like that where you took away lines from him. So, you know, he didn't, you know, quote unquote, butcher them with his accent. But it, it allowed us to see that, you know, the he had real emotional range. You know, even all the way back then, where it's like the less lines he had, but he could showcase exactly what he's feeling just through his eyes, you know, because he has like very like, like eyes that, you know, that could really just push exactly like you could see everything he's feeling by just looking at his face. You know what I'm saying? And that to me, that's what always set Van M apart from other action heroes, where it's just like, you know, they, they, they can spout the dialogue, but they, they don't have the emotional range to pull it off. Where he he did, but he did it with like less than half the amount of dialogue that they would have in a similar role. You know what I'm saying, yeah, no, I agree. I I think Van Damme does do best, especially in his earlier films where he has less dialogue. I mean, I actually wrote down that Nina is literally there to be the talking person so yeah. that he can stay silent. Like she literally says everything that I even at one point was thinking this would probably be stuff that a conversation between the two of them but they are you know they were more than happy to just let her do all of the talking so in some ways there was a danger that she might have become an annoying character but as you say van damme is so good with his facial expressions that even though she's the only one talking it still feels like there are two people conversing it's just he his character comes across as someone that just doesn't see the point in wasting words and I, it's it's weird that it, of all films to pull that off, it's this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. It's uh, you know that, that you know I I can't say enough good things about that man, um, Van Damme. The like, I I doubt that I'd be the film fan. Like you know, because we talk all the time about action movies and all that stuff. You know, and obviously you and me are uh, parts of uh, action Twitter community and all that stuff. And it's like, I probably wouldn't be a part of this community or the, the field fan if it wasn't for him and his movies. You know, so this is why, like, you, you said, uh, you know, hey, you know, you want to come on talk cyborg? And, oh, absolutely. You know, because <laughs> because I'll I'll talk any Van Damme movie. Well, not derailed. I won't talk to you, but uh, anything else, uh, you know, same. <laughs> you you can count on me and shit, because uh, I I just, I just love that man. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it's just, you know, he was he was a big part of my childhood, and he really just fucking 
you know, really put me on the path where I could sit here and talk about, talk to you about just, uh, not just his movies, but all kind of other movies, you know what I'm saying, and martial arts stuff. And it's all thanks to this guy, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, that's that's why I just, you know, talking Van Damme just makes me giddy, you know what I mean? I like talking about Van Damme films as well, because I feel like his films and the way people treat them, the way people react to them, there's been a bit of a roller coaster because I definitely watched them as a kid um, and I liked them. My granddad liked them. I think my dad liked most of them as well. And majority of my friends liked them. And then I want to say 10 years or so later, all Van Damme films suddenly became bad in the, in the eyes yeah. of most people. Oh, and yeah. it stayed that way for I want to say six or seven years and then he did JCVD and then suddenly it was all Van Damme films that we liked as kids are good again and then it was well those films are good but he also unfortunately made films in the 2000s and those aren't so good Uh, some of them are I like some of those films but it's a very it's much more hit and miss and I think that being a Van Damme fan has always been this weird up and down coaster where his good films sometimes were thought of as bad. His bad films were terrible. And then they suddenly were so bad that they were good. And then now we've gone full 360 where it's like even his bad old films are considered good because I don't care what anybody says. Street Fighter, the movie ain't good. Um, it's it, oh. I, I love that film. But you cannot sit there in good conscience and say that that is a good film. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cheesy film, and, and I appreciate it for its cheesiness. Like, it's a big Saturday morning cartoon and, and live-action Saturday morning cartoon, and I love it for that. I love it that it's just, everything is just cheesy and cartoon is just fucked. Um, but I will agree with you. Like, And I would say it was around that point where... Um, that Van Damme's movies like hit hit that point where it's just like okay we're we're moving on now. Um, the, it also came around that also came around the same time when Jackie was introduced in the states, and you know when Van Damme and Seagal they just you know they couldn't measure up because you know we just seen Rumble in the Bronx and it's like well Van Damme what are you doing you know yeah and everybody was just like. You know, like, uh, you know, we're over here now. You know what I'm saying? And then Jet Li came over, and it, that was kind of all she wrote. You know, I mean, unlike Seagal, he tried to keep up uh, with uh, Double Team and Knock Off, which is glorious. Obviously, he was he doubled for a lot of those fight scenes, you know, in trying to keep up. Yeah. But, like, it, it seemed like, you know, the, the ship had sailed, and um, that's where he started to go into direct video fair. I know. I mean, in my neighborhood, he was still fairly popular. I remember going to see Universal Soldier: The Return, uh, the the day it opened, the the Friday it opened, and the theater was packed for Universal Soldier: The Return. Um, I I and- don't think he ever lost his his uh, financial appeal or his mainstream appeal, but I think it was more. Uh, it's a bit like people knew Van Damme; they didn't necessarily know the films. Like I like a lot of the later films of Van Damme but it's just the general perception I think of like certain generations went from thinking he was really cool to not and then it bounced back and it seemed to do that every few years yeah. whereas to you know to to speak the name of his rival 
Seagal just went from bad to terrible and just flatlined, but somehow still kept making films and still kept proving that he could make worse films than he'd made before. (laughs) That is true. That is true. Like, it's, it's kind of, he's kind of almost shares a career trajectory with uh, Nicolas Cage because it was the same thing with Nick Cage where it's like, you know, he was good and then everybody for some reason started thinking he was bad and then like, you know, you kind of, you had the shift where like, they're, they're good again, you know, and then it's like they've never really changed you know what I'm saying, they made like, maybe like one uh, had a couple misses along the lines, but they've always been the same, you know yeah, and uh so the, the the thing about Van Damme that's the same with uh, Cage is that no matter what the film is, they always make the effort. You know, Van Damme always puts in an effort in his movies. You know, he, he doesn't shortchange anything. You know, he's still a constant professional, even when like the movie he's in is beneath him, you know, like derailed. Well, I mean, I'm not sure the people that made Street Fighter would agree with that, but um, overall, I think so. <laughs> I, I I I remember too because you know I I stayed pretty much on his side throughout the whole thing and I remember I bring up Van Damme and it's like oh you watch that guy's movies he's not even a real fighter he's a fucking dancer he's a ballerina and it's like oh, shut up shut the fuck up get, the, get out of my face with that shit uh, I don't want to hear that do you, do you know to this day I still don't know what to make of all of that I mean I know so many martial artists like big uh, martial artists. And they are so dead set against Van Damme because they're they're like he's not he's not legit he's not real he hasn't done any of the stuff that he's claimed he's done and I don't think he's done the 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 proper fights because yeah. I see some people say you know oh he did this and he did that and it's like well if he did all of that it would be easy to prove but it's not <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't care at the end of the day I watch him for his films I don't care if he really did all of this other stuff you know he's not. He's not a Frank Dukes at the end of the day, and that's all that I care true. about, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's you know he's not Frank Dukes. He, he's not Don Dragon Wilson either. You know, he's just a martial artist who you know made his way into movies and became you know iconic action hero, and that that's that's really all that matters, you know. Just um, the him and his movies at the end of the day. It's, yeah, it, it's it's really. Does, doesn't even like you said doesn't even really matter if he was like you know a world champion or just a local champion uh you know if um in brussels where he's from um it, who gives a shit at this point you know who really gives a shit you know the the the, the man made classic iconic action films like even yesterday the the timeline was uh just filled with love for a hard target and uh i mean to this day, like we're still talking about his classics, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, who gives a shit if he was a real world champion or not? I mean, it's a, I don't even recall him even really claiming that himself. There may have been like people like, um, uh, world champion Jean Claude Van Damme. He's just like, eh, whatever, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's what I want to say. I think that's the problem. I think back in the day, the marketing for martial arts films was, oh, put world champion on the box. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, well, well, is he? It's like, it doesn't matter. It'll sell. And I think the problem is, is as time's gone on, martial artists in particular have become very protective of those sorts of terms. I mean, it's like back in the day, no matter what you were a master of, you did karate as far as films mm. were concerned. 
You, you, there's yeah. there's 20 different types of martial arts on the screen, but they all do karate as far as the marketing is concerned. And I always yeah. found that hilarious even back in the day. But yeah, it, I personally have never really gone off of Van Damme. The only time I went off him as an individual was the controversy over the original Expendables, where he seemed to go out of his way to try and self-destruct after getting back into good people's graces. And I just remember thinking, what the hell are you doing? You've literally just had a comeback with JCVD, and now you're going out of your way to piss everybody off again, saying that you won't do this, you won't do that, and Stallone is an idiot. And I I found it hilarious because I remember watching an interview with him before Expendables 1 came out, and he was slating everyone that was going to be in that film, saying that it was trashy and the script was bad. And he was like, oh, it won't make money. And Stallone wouldn't give me a character. He just told me, oh, you'll have a fight with Jet Li. And and then, of course, the film came out and suddenly, oh, well, Sly, is a, he's a genius. I mean, this is an incredible film. I, I can't wait to be involved in the sequel if he gives me a call, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think it was more like he heard the idea because because Van Damme has always been like this because... Uh, he did the shit on Predator, which got him fired. Yes. Like, you know, they're trying to explain it to him, and it's like, this shit sounds stupid, you know? And then, like, the, 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 you know, the movie came out, and it's just like, oh, I was wrong, you know? And, um, I mean, it worked out. In all fairness, though, I don't think, uh, oh, we're going really off topic now, guys, but it is all about Van Damme. Predator wouldn't have worked, in my opinion, if the original version oh. had been filmed. I think it would have oh, flopped. Yeah. Not at all, not at all. Especially was, with that the, god-awful costume. <laughs> have you seen oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have. It's god-fucking-awful. I'm glad uh, they, they did not go that route. And even Van Damme said, himself said that he doesn't regret getting removed from that movie because he did not enjoy his time on there. Because yeah, I had him in the jungle in his big fucking suit. Uh, the red suit, which he didn't understand, was a special effect. And, you know, he was like, dude, like, I remember, uh, who was it? It was Steve Johnson who was working on that. And he said that, um, like, I think he thought that this is how the monster was going to look. He didn't understand it was a special effect. Yeah. And he was like, this, this shit looks stupid, you know? And, uh, I think as well, though, like, I've always said this if you're going to make a film where Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to fight Jean Claude Van Damme or vice versa, why would you have one of them be a monster? Why would you not want that to be a selling point? You've got Schwarzenegger yeah. and Van Damme in the same film back when they were both still in their prime. Why would you put one of them in a CGI mess? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, it, 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 it all worked out for the best because, you know, they removed him and they brought in Kevin Peter Hall and Stanley and then it was just, a, you know, a godsend to that happen. And, you know, obviously he went on to have a, you know, successful career on his own without having to do that. But yeah, like he um he definitely does have um a problem with like uh uh shooting himself in the foot. Uh he he did it uh in the middle of his career where uh I believe Universal wanted to offer him a very lucrative idea and he wanted more and he was just like, Oh fuck off dude and he was just like, Yeah, yeah, I fucked that up. Uh, I'll admit that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh I think they wanted to offer him twelve million a movie. He wanted twenty million a movie, and they said no because uh, at, at the same time, Jim Carrey was getting twenty million a movie, and he was just like, "I want that," and they were like, "No, no, dude, not not at all." And, it was just like, <laughs> yeah. and he was like, "Yeah, I should have took the deal. I should have took the deal. I should have just shut the fuck up and took the deal." 
you know. But, yeah, um, but in fairness, if that was in the nineties, I mean, it's amazing that any of the films he made then are as coherent as they are, considering he has openly admitted he can't remember half of them because he was so off his head at the time with the oh, one, yeah. with the wonderful narcotic uh, combinations he was on. <laughs> yeah, like he even admits that he, he does not remember filming knockoff at all. Like, cause he was, he was just so, yep. you know, uh, on the street, stuff. street fighter knockoff and, uh, parts of double impact. I think he says he just, uh, is just gone for him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a shame though, that he doesn't remember filming knockoff. Cause I would have loved to have heard his thoughts on like what it was like shooting that because that movie's fucking wild. Um, that's probably why yeah. it was so wild. Yeah. 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 You know what I'm saying? You got Van Damme high out of his mind. You know what I'm saying? You got fucking Joy Hawk doing just. Like just the wildest shit on that movie, and uh, you got Stephen E. D'Souza's script just being completely just batshit insane, and, and and I think that's what, that's another movie I saw in theaters where it was packed and everyone it brought the house down. Everyone loved Knockoff. Um, but uh, to to take it back to you, you said something that made me think of Cyborg um, about his movies being coherent, and it's like a lot of props have to be given to. Our view because uh, considering what he had at his disposal, which was not very much, the fact that this movie came out as good as it did, let alone coherent, is just it's a miracle in itself. I remember uh, writing that um, uh, for Bulletproof Action, they did like a celebration of our view's movies, and I was asked to be a part of it. And uh, I wrote, uh, uh, we were choosing like a top 10 of our mm-hmm. view's movies, and number one was Cyborg, and they chose what I had written about Cyborg. Which, which I really appreciate. And, and that's what I said. Like, you know, the fact that this movie came out as good as it did was just a miracle. Because, you know, he, June had everything going against him and shit. And he really knocked it out the park with, you know, just making this movie for almost peanuts in itself, you know, uh, with, with a, with a, with a studio that was completely going under at the time, you know, they, they were just bleeding money and they were just like, do something, whatever. And he was like, okay. And, you know, the fact that he put this together is just, you know, all, all props to that man. You know what I'm saying? That's why I love Albert Pugh. You know what I'm saying? You can take shit and, and polish it, make it, you know, sometimes it'd still be shit, but it'd be really good looking shit, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like we said, we already talked about the fight that he had with the military dude. So, one thing I did like, though, is that it wasn't really a fight so much as it was just him executing them in several very quick ways. And I like that because it showed that he was somebody that he's not a fighter like he is in some of his other films. He's a killer. He's the guy that is trying to get people from A to B safely, quickly, quietly. So the second he senses danger, he immediately flies into action and the other guys don't even have a chance to register. He's there to fight back. He just kills them. There's there's no nice way out of this he just goes straight for the 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 quickest way that's going to end the threat and i really like that yeah we do get some nice fights when he comes into the building because obviously they've got nina but again they're all over in like five or six seconds per opponent and that's quite unusual for a 1980s films you know compare compare that to some action films and the fights go on for minutes and these are all over in like two minutes for the entire group and it's like Oh wow, that was actually kind of dare I say the word realistic, but you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that about his character too. I, I also like the scene where 
um they, they get chased into like that that pond area and uh like fenders pirates are coming out and like he's just keeps killing them one after the other after the other like it almost becomes like almost comedic yeah because it's like one dude comes and he kills him and then the other dude comes and he kills him and it's just like <laughs> and then like like i love that shot where he just sits up and he just sees them coming from all over and it's like, oh, fuck. but like he's still killing them like like one dude knocks him out and he gets up and he stabs him and shit and it's like oh he another one's dead you know, it's just I, I like his determination. Like his character is really determined. It's just like, all right, y- y- y'all may get me and shit, but I'm gonna take as many motherfuckers out as I possibly can before yeah. you get. I like that uh, fight as well. Uh, I'll circle back around in a second, but I like that fight as well because, unlike a lot of other martial arts actors, and again, I'm not saying it was it's the actor. It's sometimes it can just be you know the directing. So it might be something that Albert insisted on is that yeah. even though Van Damme is killing those guys, he's visibly shattered. Like, yeah. he starts off having just run flat out across those planes, which was after the sewer scene, which was after the fight in the warehouse. He's already, like, getting to the point where it's like, I can't do this forever. And yeah. then, like you say, they just, one guy after another, and by the time he gets surrounded, he's already, like, done. Like, there's yeah. no energy left. Like, even when he's fighting them, instead of being like perfectly executed kicks, they're like lazy kicks. There's hardly any power in them. And he sounds like he's struggling for air. He's panting and it's simple stuff, but most action stars wouldn't allow that. Cause then they, they, cause it always used to get perceived of, Oh, they must look their best at all times. Cause they're the hero and they're, they're the big main star. And it's like, yeah, but that's not that world. He's not yeah. a hero. He's just a guy trying to, do the right thing and he's yeah. horrifically outnumbered he's not gonna roundhouse kick them all like a chuck norris would and somehow get out of it you know yeah yeah no that, that that's always been one of the things i liked about him because uh me and my cousin used to say all the time like we like the fact that he gets hit in his movies like you know most action stars you you know you barely lay a finger on him. like bruce was like that a lot of the times so, although he did get hit Seagal is definitely like that. Where <laughs> Seagal's the patron saint of not getting hit, you right, know, right. Um, unless you're trying a salesman and uh, film the rest of the fight after he's left the set. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but the the thing about Van Damme was like, I mean, uh, like I don't know, if realistic is the right word because you know his fights do tend to seem to be a little melodramatic. But, you know, that makes sense because, you know, you're trying to get the, the most out of the story and the action, you know, that point of the story. But I like the fact that there's that sense of realism and that, like, you know, he's not this perfect, you know, uh, perfectly skilled hero where he just takes everybody out and nobody lays even a, uh, a pinky on him. You know, he, he'll take his blows here and there, you know what I'm saying? Like, he'll beat them, but, like, he gets punched, he gets kicked, you know, uh... And I always appreciated that about him, like in his movies, you know, it's just like there's he always maintained that sense of realism in his movies, where, you know, he doesn't come away unscathed from the fight scenes. And that, and that, that one and that fight right there is a perfect example, because, like you said, like as as it goes on, he's just dead tired, like where he's on the floor and they surrounded him. And he's literally just trying to catch his breath. You know, he's <gasps> he's bleeding, you know, all that stuff. And then he has to get up to fight Fender. And then Fender beats the shit out of him. 
Yeah, I I actually made a note of that, that like Fender is supposed to be this big terrifying guy, but he he doesn't even run. He like struts over uh, and he's like cool as a cucumber because he's done nothing. And then only after he's made sure that Van Damme's character is completely knackered and barely able to stay stood up, does he decide, now I'm going to fight you. He had, and he'd shot him earlier in that scene when he's in the warehouse. And it's like, he could have gone one-on-one with him then if he was this big, powerful, you know, allegedly infallible man. But no, he had to wait until Van Damme was already basically beaten. And then he was more than happy to... uh, throw down and i thought that tells you so much about his character that words could never never express yeah and he does it again in the climax you know van am kills the rest of his pirates and then like gets uh almost blown up and then he's like okay now let's fight and then uh like you're you're already tired and 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 uh you just killed like five dudes five of my dudes and shit and you almost got blown up uh and, and now i fight you that that's probably the, the 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 fight I like least. Well, that made the main portion of the fight, where it's just basically, uh, you kick, I scream. Yeah, that's, that's literally the fight. Van Damme I, just um, kicking him. So 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 since since you've mentioned it, I actually made a note that, uh, I, I can't remember that actor's name. Um, but the guy that was playing the the fender, he he would have been so much more effective if they didn't make him scream. Um, yes. his facial expressions like when Van Damme punches him and his mouth stays open and yeah. he's just staring at him and he doesn't make a sound is terrifying he looks like a snake about to just destroy Van Damme and he's massive but the second he starts trying to make any noise I can't take him seriously as a villain he is I don't know if it's him if he was trying to act or what but he just sounds so ridiculous. He's he like, does. Oh, oh. yeah. I mean, he's, oh, oh. And it's just like this is the most ridiculous and shit then, ever. It's a, and, it's, and, it's, then it, and then it got even worse because it was like Van Damme went, "Oh, I can make those strange noises too." And it was like, <laughs> "Oh, for God's sake, this is this is almost as coherent as Batman talking to Bane." Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And it, 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 it gets even funnier too because. This is the portion of the fight I like, uh, um, which I always wondered if it was a reshoot. Like, you know, like uh, in the fight, uh, uh, Gibson stabs Fender and you think he's dead. Yeah. And he has this reconnecting moment with Haley and then Fender jumps back up. And then they go into the section like where yeah, like, they go you know, inside. They, they just find this yeah. random building. Yeah. And, and Van Damme has been fighting Fender for like six minutes and has done nothing to him. But now all of a sudden, oh, I can fuck him up now. You know, yeah. and, and he's he's just so easy to beat now. I I even I even wrote down that once they go inside, it go he goes full Van Dam like Van Dam is unleashed. Like all of a sudden, the choreography yeah. goes back to what I call the classic Van Dam. It's like all is all of yeah. his signature moves. It's all of the signature facial expressions, and then it ends with him, you know, killing him. And it's like I don't think Fender gets a single blow in at that point. Right. It, 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 that's why I always thought like maybe it was reshoot and it was like yeah this 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 doesn't end um like the the way the fight ends is kind of anticlimactic because he just stabs him and then that's it then they're like no we need something like with a little pizzazz and um uh, like 
I get the sense because Van Damme was known for doing this. Like, okay, I'll take over from here. And because uh, that, like, like you said, it features all the hallmarks of like you know Van Damage, and uh, like he just beats the shit out of him for for two minutes straight and that whole section. And uh, what I love about that because it's literally just Fender going Ugh! Ugh! like every time Van Damme, Ugh! Ugh! like it's the funniest shit. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but that's great because that's the that's the like why couldn't the whole fight well the whole fight couldn't have been like that because then like Fem is basically just getting the shit out of him for seven minutes. Um but I, I that's a portion of it I do like that the whole section of it basically just no kind of flavor to it at all. Uh Van Damme's just punching and kicking and uh Fender's no selling <laughs> and then until he starts selling when they go back when they go inside. And uh, it's like, yeah, this is a portion. That's a portion of uh, like, and I'm glad that they ended it that way because if they would have just ended it with a knife in the belly, uh, you know. No, I agree. I actually liked portions of the fight in the rain. I thought it was very stylistic. I liked the lighting. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. The choreography was not great. I think that they were trying to make it look like what it was, which was two tired, big, muscular people just basically having a brawl in the mud. Um, the problem was mm. is like a the editing didn't really go with that, but also they had this moment where Van Dam was in a car, and again, I think it was supposed to look like he was struggling because you know Fender had just basically beaten him up, but it just looked like he was chilling in a car, and then he kicks through the window with this most ridiculous over the top wah! How do you think? But there's yeah. no way that kick had any power in it. Like it barely touches Fender, and you just think. I'm sure that was, uh, like you say, half of the, my problem with the fight scenes in this film is the editing. I think the idea was there. And I bet if you saw the behind the scenes where it was just one camera and you could see the full idea, I bet the execution was there. It's just It just fell apart in the editing room, in my, in my opinion. Because yeah. again, I think the idea was that the ending shouldn't be a big spectacle because it wasn't a hero and villain story. It was just too killers you know who's going to come out on top and reality is you know a knife in the back is probably how it would go you know which one was gonna which yeah. one was gonna take the other one out first and i liked it even though it was very difficult to follow but i will agree that sequence when they go inside feels like it was ripped out of a different film and it's it's nice yeah. to see van damme suddenly unleash because it does feel like he's been like held back throughout most of the film and then all of a sudden he just starts going. But it was kind of like, well, if he could do that all along, why wasn't he doing that earlier? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, to rewind a bit, the one scene that I did want to talk about, uh, not so much for Van Damme as a action star, but as an actor, we were saying about his ability to show emotions on his face. One of the scenes that I thought was done really well, and not just for... Um, the people among us who enjoy adult content, but when they were on the beach, <laughs> uh, for some reason, Nina decided it would be a good idea to just strip off all of her clothes and go running uh, into the water, yeah. which feels very abrupt because they don't know each other that well. But I liked the scene that followed it because Van Damme clearly had done the same thing and they'd both gone and had, you know cleaned up because they were both covered in mud and blood, which fair enough. But then you yeah. have that moment where it was building up to the two of them having a sex scene because she clearly had 
um, chemistry for him, which is understandable because he yeah. just saved her life twice. And uh, he's, you know, neither one of them are unattractive, as we said at the beginning of the film. But what I liked is the fact that as she went to sort of offer herself, essentially, he was like covering her back up and saying no. And I really like that because if he'd spoken and had any dialogue, I don't think the scene would have worked. But the way he played it with his expressions and the way he did his body language, it left it so open to interpretation of why he was saying no. Like, was it morality? Was it, you know, uh, was it this? Was it that? And the fact that she was so worried that he was going to leave her alone, you're not even entirely sure that she was doing it because she wanted to, was she purely doing it because she didn't want to wake up and find that he disappeared? Because she even tells him that she's terrified that that's what's going to happen, that he's going to leave her behind yeah. because she's just dead weight to him. And I love yeah. that scene because she does really good acting in terms of trying to convey all of that. But then he does the same thing and he doesn't say a word throughout that entire scene. And I just think, like you say, that sort of stuff gets overlooked in a film where, you know, people get their heads decapitated and he roundhouse kicks someone with a knife and slits their throat and kills someone with the splits. But you can miss all that sort of stuff. And it's also not helped by the fact that it's all done whilst she is essentially naked. So yeah, some people are going to miss the emotional context of the scene. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I like that scene as well. Because I, I, I think her reasoning was that maybe that was a gesture of, of like, like, cause she is, she is worried that the, cause she says, you're not going to be here when I wake up in the morning, are you? And like, he doesn't answer. Yeah. You know, and like, I, I think that was maybe her way of trying to get him to stay. You know, like maybe if I offer myself to him, like he'll, he'll stay, you know, and he basically just covers her up like, nah, that's okay. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, come to it he, he 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 doesn't leave at all you know what i'm saying so it's like you know gibson is a good dude basically because it's like no you don't have to do that uh, cover yourself back up you know the, the, don't even worry about it you know and the way he conveys that it, it's almost like he felt sorry for her that she felt like she had to do that you know like he conveys that uh emotion perfectly yeah you know like you said but without saying a word he was just like no you know just like you don't have to do that at all you know it's okay but I, I, you know I, we're, we're just gonna chill here by the fireplace and have a good sleep and everything's gonna be fine yeah and, and it it worked for the film itself because if there's one thing that this film has established it's that uh nobody i don't want to say nobody but the vast majority of the populace morality isn't really something that they concern themselves with anymore and you know, mm -hmm. it, you've literally got people on crosses completely naked and mutilated. You've got very obvious uh, inclinations as to what's going on in the pirates amongst themselves. And, you know, that shanty town, mm -hmm. it was not everybody was equal. The people, Some people were just quite clearly doing what other people were telling them to do. Slavery gets tossed around quite often. All, all of the stuff that mm. people would think, you know, oh, surely society wouldn't go back to that. And all of it's here. And it's it's not dwelt upon. It's there in the background if you care to notice it. So the fact yeah. that she tried and he said no is kind of like that's showing you his character because this is right after he's just killed a bunch of people. So it's like you kind of have this hard 
rough exterior of a character that's going to kill people and not lose any sleep over it. But he also won't take advantage of someone that's offering him something because he's like, no, you don't have to worry about it. And yeah, the rest of the world probably wouldn't have said no to that if that and it it kind of although he is a killer he still has in his brain morals and i think the audience yeah the ones that like this film anyway i think that helps the audience go a long way to liking him to like their relationship and for wanting to see them succeed yeah absolutely i i I fully agree with that also um as we saw earlier when um with the fucking the scavenger steals the the ball from the little boy, yes. and uh, and he's like, "Hey, you know this isn't yours." And, ah! and then he gives the ball back to the boy, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah, in, in an unjust world, he is a, a, a just character. You know what I'm saying? He, he's, you know, like you say, he's not a hero, but like he's not exactly. I don't know if you would call him an anti-hero either. He's just in this world and. He knows what's right and he knows what's wrong. And um like like it's just like what Pearl says at the very end, something I think he's the real cure for this world. Not essentially because, you know, he wipes out all the bad guys and all that shit, but he is someone that, you know, you could trust, you know what I'm saying? You could really be around and shit, you know, and, and count on. And you know, in, in a world like that, you know, that that's exactly who you need around you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, it, 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 you have to appreciate when you know in, in a movie like this where like they go out of their way to make sure that's that's understood without overstating it, you know, because they don't beat you over the head with just how good of a guy he is. They just have these little moments where you, know, you see it happen and then it, it moves on. So we understand exactly the kind of person he is without uh, there having to be a big speech about it or like you know, it's just this is who he is, you know. But, you know, he, he does good things, but he also does bad things, too, like, depending on how you look at it, you know, and that's just the world they live in. So, like, yeah, you definitely got to appreciate them, you know, going going that far to make sure that's understood. Yeah. And uh, we already talked about the fight scenes, but when they're in the warehouse, we also get a twist and we also get uh, something that I didn't see coming, which uh, I'll say in a second. But we said earlier about the flashbacks. In the flashbacks, eventually, we learn that Van Damme basically had a peaceful life at one point, and we don't really know what happened. It does eventually get revealed, but one of the people that was there in the flashback was the younger sister of the girl that Van Damme's character had fallen in love with, and this is the point where you Mm -hmm. find out that one of the pirates is her, and she's not anyone. She's uh, Fender's girlfriend, I'm going to use as the nice term. Whether or not she's not yeah. even that high up on the food chain, I'm not going into, but that's that's what I'm sticking with. And uh, that is a surprise to him because he didn't know what happened to her. It's just, And Fender yeah. and her, and uh, I think her name's Haley. Haley, yeah. They don't even twig that he is who he is because they're both under the impression that he's dead. Why that doesn't occur to them, I do not know because he doesn't look any different from when he did in the flashbacks, but uh, we'll just go with that. But that's one of the big the big reveals. But the other thing that I was really surprised by, Stroke liked but didn't, is um, the whole point of the film is trying to rescue this cyborg that has the data that could allegedly lead to a cure of the plague that destroyed the world and is keeping it from ever really rebuilding. Yeah. Now, 
at the start of the film, you know, that she sees Van Damme. That's what kind of sets this whole thing off. And then they go after her when she gets taken by the pirates. And in this sequence, he rescues her and Nina. But when they go to leave, the cyborg Pearl says, nah. (laughs) And I was like, what? And she literally tells them, yeah, um, you're nowhere near strong enough to beat all of these pirates and they'll eventually catch us and I can't risk being killed. So I'm just going to do what I was going to do anyway, which is lead them to where I'm from and then they'll just slaughter them with, you know, actual guns. And I just thought, wow. And I, I made a note that was just like, Van Damme being told that he's essentially too weak is perhaps a fair assessment of the situation, but not one that you're expecting to hear in a 1980s action film. Right. No, that, uh, that that's I like it a lot. You know, I like you know when you have those moments where action heroes they feel like human. You know what I'm saying? Where that that you know because we have enough action movies where the hero is basically superhuman. You know, basically a superhero. Well, uh, last time about the invasion USA, where it's like impervious <laughs> to damage. You know, the, the they will never be defeated. And like in a moment like this, where you have basically, you know, the person that he's trying to rescue, like, nah, you 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 you're not going to pull this off. You know, uh, I I don't believe you can pull this off. And he's just like, <clears throat> you know, he he's pissed, but he's also deflated. Like, you know. She basically telling him that he's too, like you say, he's too weak. It's like um, there's like that moment, and then uh, uh, in, in Die Hard, where uh, McLean is basically telling Powell that uh, you know, he doesn't feel like he's gonna make it out of there, and like you know, if you find my wife, tell her I said this and all that stuff, or like in Speed, where after uh, spoilers for Speed, where um, after Harry's been killed, and uh, Jack flies into a rage. And Andy's trying to calm him down, and he basically tells him, we're going to die. You know, where, like, the, the hero is basically admitting defeat there. And I appreciate those moments so much, because, like I said, you have so many uh, movies where the hero would never have a moment like that, where, you know, they're basically, you know, taking in their own humanity in their way. In this case, he's being told that he's not strong enough to pull this off. And I like shit like that, you know. I really do. Like, it's it's you know, it's a good point to have in a movie where it's just like you know you have to remind the hero that you know he he's not some superhero killing machine and that they're human after all, you know. And in this case, you know, it's it, it leads him to, you know, what, what what's the term I'm looking for? It leads him to like recollect and realize why he's really here. I mean, because he's really there for revenge, most of all. Like, rescuing Pearl is second there. But he really wants revenge. And she stays even telling him, you're not going to do it. So it's just like, you know, then he gets crucified after the whole thing. Which is actually, which is weird, too, because I've been told I'm weird for for saying that's my favorite scene in the movie. But it is. (laughs) Um, No, I just like, I I like the way people put it off, you know what I'm saying? He's like, you know, he's basically up there and, you know. I'm going to die up here and shit, but then he's remembering exactly what happened and exactly why he's here. And, you know, he, he, he fucking gets himself off the cross, which uh, I don't think would work in reality and shit because the way he kicks it, it should fall forward. And basically he should fall face forward with the cross falling on him, but he falls sideways for some reason. 
Um, if it if it helps, I've got way more issues than that with the logistics of that cross scene. Um, but you're absolutely right. If by some miracle he was able to do what he did in the film, um, I don't think it would fall sideways. I mean, it's very likely he would go straight into the ship. I don't even know how he managed to go out of the ship that he's attached to. Yeah. But I, I actually remember making a thought of like, how is he staying up there because at first i thought they just tied him to the cross and then i realized no 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 they have actually nailed something i think it's arrows through his wrists but they haven't tied his legs so he's just dangling by the two points of anchorage on his wrists he's Mm -hmm. a heavy dude and even if he wasn't your body ain't gonna last doing that event his arms would have just been ripped to shreds um And never mind. And if he started kicking as well, I, I would be amazed if A, he'd have the body strength to do that after holding himself up. But B, that would just make his wrists probably fall apart even faster. So, yeah, that whole sequence kind of bothered me. The other comment I, I wrote down is I find found it funny that they took the rest of his clothes off. But unlike every other person we've seen crucified, they were nice enough to leave him some underwear. Yeah, basically, <laughs> basically, they they, they 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 took the shirt off, but they left the pants on. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, does it really make a difference? But whatever. <laughs> you oh, know it what it, it like, doesn't make any difference. They, they stripped everyone else nude and shit, but they were nice enough to leave his pants off. Exactly. Which is weird. Which which is weird too, because you know Van, Van Damme is not above getting nude. I mean, unless he's showing his his his, his famous cheeks. Um, you know, he's not above uh, getting nude for the movie, but uh, yeah, it is weird that they, they stripped everyone else nude when they crucified him, but they left him his pants. Yeah. But I, I just, I like a lot of credit, to, I think, for the success of this movie, too, especially that scene, why I like it so much is the, the musical score. Um, uh, I believe the name of the composer is Kevin Bassman or Bassman. Um, and I love that score. Um, and I love it so much in that scene right there because it really helps build that moment up to, you know, why I love it so much, you know, where, you know, he's remembering everything and that's just enraging him more to where he's kicking the shit out of this thing to, to knock it over. And, uh, you know, cause he realized that he, he has to get off because it, like he, yeah, he has to say Pearl and then now he realizes he has to say Haley too, but he realizes like he, he could have had a moment in his life where everything was peaceful and this fender took it away from him and it's going to do seemingly do the same thing again, but this time on a larger scale. And like, you know, he, he needs to get off and he needs to stop this guy. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, Van M having that purely enraged emotion showing he's screaming and yelling. And, and I think this is it's so well done, but a lot of it is helped by the score. And that was another reason, like, because uh, uh, we talked about the original title being Slinger, but that's also the title of Pune's director's cut uh, of the film. Yes, which I'm annoyed is not on the Blu-ray. Um, yeah. I, I, I now know that that version of the film is out there, and I'm grumpy that they don't yeah. have it. I know um, Mike knew where to get it, but he doesn't think that, it, if I remember correctly, we were talking about it, and he says that he doesn't think they have it anymore. Uh, the website that was selling it. Uh, but um, one of the things that actually uh, I hesitated on getting it to, you know, which 
it was stupid of me and shit because now I can't get it at all. But that score is not on the director's cut. He uh, commissioned a new score from his uh, from his regular composer, um, Tony Ripper. I can't pronounce that man's last name. Um, but like he usually does a, a lot of uh, Pune scores on his movies, and he had a new score commissioned from him for the Slinger cut, and it's like, ah, but I like that other score. You know what I'm saying? Like that that, yeah. that synthy score, and it was like it's so much better. Um, and it's just, oh, dude, uh, why would you why would you change that? I mean, it's it's his movie; he could do whatever fuck he wants with it. But I was like, you could have at least kept the score because that score is fucking tops, and I love that. That, that score so much like um sometimes i would actually put on the the dvd and shit the just to listen to the like the end credits because the end credits will play the main theme and i would sometimes put it on and just let the end credits play so i can listen to it like playing the background and shit as I, as I did something as i wrote or you know whatever i would just have that playing in the background because i love that score so much but I, I just wanted to point that out because i felt like that's you know the music is a a big part of why the film works as well as it does. Yeah, no, it, it, I did like the music. I must admit in general, I always forget to mention music unless it's something that really sticks out to me, but uh, no, mm. I did like the music in this one. And I did actually make a note as well that for that specific scene, it did fit really nicely. I mean, I, I actually wrote that, you know, the flashbacks, the rage, um, they're great thematically and emotionally. I just questioned logistically, but in terms of the scene itself, like that, the, all that other stuff aside, it's great. I mean, seeing at last what these flashbacks that we've been seeing tastes of throughout the film is nice. And again, it's so barbaric what Fender actually does to them. Um, if uh, For those who haven't seen it and for those who just need a reminder, uh, essentially Van Damme, the one he loves, and the brother are all held in this well and they're held by barbed wire. And there's a guy holding the end of the barbed wire. But the, the deal that they make is they give the barbed wire to the nine-year-old Haley. I think that's how old she's supposed to be. Something and like and uh, they're like, oh, if you can hold them up, then we'll let everybody live. Now, obviously, she doesn't want uh, them to die. So she holds on. But it's barbed wire. And there's no way a kid is holding up Van Damme, never mind everybody else. So, yeah. You can imagine what the outcome of that is. Somehow Van Damme survives, yeah. but the other two don't. But yeah, that's basically what motivates him and what ruined his life and where all of his rage comes from. And I thought that was a pretty pretty good backstory as far as tragic backstories go. Yeah, that that image lives right free in my head ever since I was a kid. That image of her trying to hold him up with the barbed wire. She's screaming and crying as the barbed wire is going through her hands and the blood's pouring out. You know, mm. like that—that that is something I've never forgotten about the movie. Like I, I remember it completely, but that one is the image that has always stuck with me because it's just like so, like fucked up. You know, what I'm saying like, you know, well, Fender's a fucked up person. You, know? you can hold him, Bill. Yeah, you know? and I—I uh, I don't know how we went from that to him obviously then taking her with them and treating the wounds and then essentially turning her into one of them and i'm like yeah yeah she she has not lived a particularly nice life would be my guess either yeah um so like you say considering she's an adult now clearly a lot of time has passed between then and now so i'm not even sure how old van damme is supposed to be in the flashbacks because people still call him kid uh in the 
present. So it's like, mm. I, I don't know if he's supposed to be much younger. Like he's not supposed to be much older than a teen himself or what, but um, mm-hmm. it all, it all works. The other thing that we didn't mention is we were talking about the fight pre crucifixion with Van Damme, but Nina gets a fight as well. They, they were nice enough to run a, a female pirate at her so that she could have a girl on girl fight. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't actually do too bad. She cuts the woman's hand off. She gets knocked out by the stump, but she, she gets very, very vicious. Like you were saying, she, She's not a fighter in inverted commas, but she doesn't run away or go down or get terrified. She does stand her ground. Um, And the reason why that's important to know is because once he falls off the cross, Nina then decides that that's the moment she's going to wake up and come and help him get free, which I did find funny. Like, okay, you got yourself off. Now I'll help you. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, because he was obviously there overnight. So like, how long were you you out for? Exactly. (laughs) That he was up there, but like, yeah, like I, I do like that. That uh, they gave her. Well, they actually give her two uh, female pirates that she can fight. She fights one at the end as well, and she gets the shit beat out of her as well in that fight too. Yeah. Um, but uh, she she does manage to, to kill her because like she's she's a spunky one. She's a she's a like she's not a fighter, so it's like she's just you know doing whatever she can to just survive in this at this point. But uh, like, yeah, like. You were knocked out for a while because my man surely should have bled to death up there because you know he's got these two yep. arrows to his arms and oh yeah I wrote that down too. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's no way this would ever actually work, but I, it's fine. It's a film. I'm not going to question it. Absolutely. <laughs> like I think that's the, the logic we all all use. And like when people try to use logic, it's like that's a movie. Who cares? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Um, I also like the fact that we see um, Pearl and Fender having a discussion and she's like convinced that she knows what she's doing. And then he just basically turned around and is like, yeah, I know you're leading me into a trap, by the way. Like you think you're going to kill us when we get to Atlanta, but uh, I don't. So I'm not worried. Let's uh, let's see who wins. And I, I yeah. thought that was great because she had been underestimating him. And in all fairness, I think so is the audience because he does come across as this big idiot who's just very very strong but in that sequence he really reveals how intelligent he actually is and he's sort of like everybody underestimates me but does it not occur to you how i've become the king of this wasteland like i didn't get there because i have all these muscles you know and it's like oh shite i am okay that was a nice um subversion of expectations Right, right. I, I also like the, the point where she was like, "No, I, I was never. I know who how strong you are." He's like, "Don't look down on me." Yeah, like he he realized like like you're patronizing me and fucking stop, bitch. You know what I'm saying? And, and she's like, "No, I, I I don't, I don't." And it's like, "Oh shit, um, I may have uh like like you said, I underestimated this guy and shit. He's a lot smarter than than I had anticipated, and I'm fucked at this moment." You know what I'm saying? Like. You should have went with Gibson when he told you let's go. Exactly, exactly. And it's also the fact that um, I had actually thought that Van Damme had killed a lot more of the guys than he actually did because several of the people that I thought Van Damme had killed are now back with him, but now they've got like marks on their faces. Like the, the guy that he attacks with the, from the splits is there, but now he has a lovely like scar under his chin mm-hmm. or on his uh, cheek, sorry. And I was like, oh, okay. I think mostly they just, it's a lot of it, they just all blend in together. So it's just like really hard 
until one or two apart. Yeah, no, um, I definitely had that problem because I, I did wonder if I was imagining this, but I'm sure it's the same guy because he's fucking massive. Um, I was calling him Conan in my notes. <laughs> oh, well, you're not too far off because uh, Ralph Moeller was in, was in there and, uh, you know, who eventually went on to play Conan in the TV show. Um, but we all know him as Brackus from uh, Best of the Best 2. Um, oh, yeah. He's, yeah. The one, he, he's the one who gets killed in the sewer. Um, oh, so he iconic. does get killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's why. That's why I was saying. Like, um, I was trying to figure who you're talking to, uh, talking about, and I was like, I think that it may be just because a lot of them just because there, there is one dude in there, and it's like, is he the same guy? Then it's like, no, they just all fucking because they're all big, beefy, uh, oiled up meathead looking motherfuckers, and they all just kind of <laughs> blend in. They all, they all just blend in with each other because it's just like they, they went to a gym and said like, hey, you want to be in a movie? Let's go, let's go, let's go. And they got all the dudes with the mullets and then there and shit, and they all just kind of look alike. So I was just like, I was trying to figure out who you were talking to, uh, talking about, and I was like, no, 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 the, the Ralph Muller, yeah, is 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 dead, um, uh, uh, in the in the sewer. Um, I think it's just like yeah, like they just they all blend in, you know, they all just look alike. You know what I'm saying? Which is the which is the problem because they you know. They, there's really nothing that separates the, the the pirates apart. A lot of them, um, I mean, I mean, you definitely have uh, like some uh, that 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 stand out. The the one that always stands out to me is uh, the 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 poor sap that Van Damme blinded in one eye during the making of the movie, um, uh, and and the the the, the wiry fellow and shit who he fights in a warehouse and then later in the pond and shit. Um, cause he has like the, the spear that's basically like, uh, almost like the same thing as a uh, Van Damme's boots, which, uh, the, just remind me, we didn't, we didn't talk about the boots. Uh, I, I really wanted to talk about the boots because Go for it. I remember, th- I, I, I remember thinking that those boots were the coolest fucking thing ever. I still think they're pretty cool and shit. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's a shame too that, uh, during the spicing in the pond, like the blades get broken off. Um, because it's like, damn, you know. I mean, he does use them again during the climactic fight, but like, just more like somebody tries to jump on him, and and he kicks above, and like, I guess he kills him because we never see that guy come back again and shit. So I guess he killed him with that swift kick, but he never uses the boots again. Like, if you clearly killed that guy with the with the knife boot, so why didn't you use it any other time on the, any other other pirates or offender? You didn't do shit with it. Yeah, so it's like. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. Like you say, when he, well, to be honest, in the very beginning part of the film, when he first shows up, he has a sword on his back, and then later on, when he goes to the village, he's using the sword like he's running along with it unsheathed, and he's you know holding this quite. I'm pretty sure it's a katana blade, and then yeah. it just disappears. Like there's yeah. no explanation given for where the sword goes, and you're thinking, um. If he had a sword, it would have made some of the fights way easier. Like yeah, yeah, it made it, it made complete sense for him to have one in this world because he had a sword and he had the um the 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 handmade gun that looked like a something out of the Borderlands, which again is you know something that came up many years later. But uh, I, I don't understand why he got rid of that but kept the the four shot gun. You know? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I also like how Fender has a bigger version of that gun. 
but Fender only uses it once. Yeah. You know, like they, when he shoots him during the, during the warehouse fight, but like he just, he shoots him in the arm and it's like, you might want to take this motherfucker out, but you, you just don't, you just stand there like a goof as, as he comes forward to you, you know, saying that it's like, uh, um, like I said, it's a movie we shouldn't be trying to find logic and why, you know, they make the decisions to make in a post-apocalyptic future. Well, no, I mean, it, I think probably um, he traded the sword at the shantytown for information, for direction, something to that effect, and the scene just probably was cut, is, is, is yeah. what I decided. But, um, that makes yeah, sense. it it it's the same as, like you say, you know, you were talking about the religious overtones. I mean, he he very much was channeling the whole being resurrected after the crucifixion to then go mm. and kill the devil. And uh, like you say, the fact that they then went and reshot it to for Van Damme to unleash very much feels like, you know, this is uh, Slinger resurrected, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's the same with Nina. Like you say, she gets to fight a few people at this sequence and she's very, very durable, which is surprising given that she's not the biggest person uh, in the film by any stretch of the imagination but she manages to take quite a beating but sad times like we were saying at the very beginning um because we already pretty much covered the fight she does and yeah. i was uh i didn't remember that uh, i didn't really remember her uh and like i said that that kind of caught me off guard but at the same time i think it fit uh because she wasn't the romantic interest she she wanted to do something good which in her mind was to rescue Pearl, which she did. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, she died doing so, but she did do it. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's always a bump when uh when when you see when you see her die. You know, because it's like you said earlier, she she is the reason why he he, he pursues uh Pearl as is. Like he's really a defender, but like you know you, you know um. She convinces him, like, no, you gotta save her too, because you know we gotta try to help the world in any way, you know. So it was really her dream, her mission to, you know, save Pearl in order to change the world, and you know, regardless of what happens after that, you know, she, she's never gonna know if it worked or not, and and and, and it's sad, and, and I like I like how too, like they gave her that moment because sometimes sidekicks die, and you know they just oh this my my sidekick is dead, I'm mad, and, but then they just move on. But they gave her like you know that 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 really you know nice moment where like, he's he's obviously you know really fucked up about her being dead, and you know even if you know as it's in the rain you can clearly see that uh, you know he's crying, and uh, I, I like this see it's shit like that that it makes this movie tops for me because you know they don't have to do that but they do it anyway because it's like you know we have to have a hero have a little humanity. You know, so they yeah. add those moments in and like, you know, him basically giving her like a little funeral kind of thing, you know, is is really shows just like the kind of movie this is where it's like, you know, they could have just went straight up blood and guts, but they was like, no, we're going to have a human element to it, too. And shit. That's why this movie always sticks out to me, because, you know, it doesn't have to do that, but it does. Yeah. And, and they they echo it with Haley as well, because in the final fight, she turns on Fender and it's like she remembers who he is and you know mm -hmm. they they kind of leave it ambiguous as to 
like the only things that go through her mind are the flashbacks we've already seen, but mm. they do a good job of her like deciding that actually she doesn't want Fender to kill him. So she kind of gets in the way, but again, like Nina, she doesn't seem to be that much of a fighter, which is odd considering she very mm. much seems like one at the beginning, but whatever. Um, but they give her, they give her a bit of a moment. And then that, like you say, you think you're going to get this happy moment where Van Damme goes off with Nina and Haley, but then Nina has to die in order to protect Pearl. So yeah, yeah. Pearl is protected and they, they take her home, so to speak, but he's not exactly, um, Pearl's biggest fan. Like he's doing it purely because that was what Nina wanted. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, this is what she wanted here. You say bye. Yeah. You know? And she's like, you'll stay with us. And he's like, no, they need us out there. Goodbye. You know, and and that's that, you know, it, it, I, I did it for her. So long. Farewell. I hope I never see you again. <laughs> Maybe not that deep, but like, yeah, it's just here. You're safe. Goodbye. Yeah. No, I, I, I did find that line that she says at the end funny, though, when she was like, you know, oh, he he's the cure for this world because she spent what? maybe 10 minutes with him uh in the film and it's like how do you know what he's like i mean the bit the only time you actually spent with him was this bit when he was getting you the last leg where everything was already done you know (laughs) yeah i I think i think it was more like you know she said what she said earlier to him that he's not strong enough but yet he still managed to 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 meet them at the at the rendezvous point and you know kill Fender and his pirates and save her and it's just like you know I I was wrong about him and she was wrong yeah. about Fender but she was also wrong about Gibson and it's just like yeah he he you know, proved her cybernetic brain wrong yeah yeah definitely and it's just like you know uh, what what we're doing you know what I'm saying could could help out but he's the one who's helping now. You know what I'm saying? Make sure, like, we're safe from these fucking evil sons of bitches. And yeah. uh, I, I think that was more or less her point, you know, with... Oh, no, I, mean, I, it, I, it, it, I got it, the point. I just found it funny the way she no, no, does no. it. No, no, I, 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 I totally get it. It's like, it's, it's weird that she would phrase it that way. I think he's the real cure for this world. And it's like, hey, you know what I'm saying? It's like, he he's still like he's still like you know a, a savage in in a, in in a certain sense you know yeah it's like you said he's not he's not really a hero you know he's um he's a killer with morals you know what I'm saying because I mean he has to be a killer in this world but you know he still has morals and all that stuff so but like yeah to phrase it like that it's, it, yeah it, it is a bit funny it's like it's a little too deep there Pearl you might want to relax. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's a protector in a sense, but the cure, uh, <laughs> he went a little too far there. The other thing that I've not mentioned, um, mostly because I feel like it's uh, kind of kicking someone when they're down, but uh, there are points in this film where Pearl is uh, not played by the actress. You see her in her cybernetic form, i.e., you see the robot parts and um i've seen some bad bad prosthetics in my time uh the ones in cyborg do not hold up <laughs> i'm not sure they held up when they were made no um i i wouldn't even mind so much but 
they look nothing like the person that's playing the character. And I nope. can't help but wonder if there was a different actress originally and they made them and they were like, well, we can't really change them now. So they were like, ah, close enough. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think it's just that uh, they, they tried their best and it's just like it's nothing. And, and, and like, <laughs> I think it was just like, uh, this looks nothing like her, but we already spent too much money on it. Fucking use it. You know, we already spent like fucking 20 bucks on this the, the mock-up of like her in cybernetic form and shit we, we can't afford anything else use the puppet you use the use the puppet because we can't spend, we don't have any more money to spend on another one yeah that was kind of what made me just kind of ignore it was knowing that this film had like no budget and i was like ah oh, you know what it's fine um it yeah. looks stupid it, it really took me out of the film like it again, you didn't need to see her front forward. I don't know why they needed to show you the face. Um, there were so many other ways they could have done that, but they and then not only did they show you the face, like especially at the beginning of the film, they tried to have it emote. Now, mm. th that puppet was not the best to begin with, just sitting there looking normal, but trying to make it have facial expressions just made me crease up in laughter. Cause it was yeah. just not happening. <laughs> yeah, like, like she looks one way, and then when she takes the wig off in the beginning, and and they show her face forward, she kind of looks like uh, Robin Curtis, who played uh, Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek Three. And yeah. it's like, when 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 did she when did she turn into Savick and shit? <laughs> <laughs> See, when they when they do it when they are doing the flashback to the surgery. It still looks bad, but it's fine because obviously the eye comes out and they show you all the wires and it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like you, you only see it for maybe a couple of seconds, but that shot at the beginning, they hold on it like it's something to be proud of and then have her sort of go, Ugh! like she's supposed to have this reaction to seeing something. And it's like, no, you, you should have just had her, the actress from the front, the second the puppet turned around, you know, I don't understand why they thought that that looked good. Yeah, like you could have just literally put a ball cap on her. Yeah, that, because because that... when she's facing forward, you really can't see like the, the cybernetics in the back of her head. So it's like, why even keep it stop motion at all? Like you know, puppet whatever. It's just like I don't know. Maybe the Monokum was like, I, I spent all this money on it. You better fucking use it, you know. Um, or maybe they were just like uh, they thought it was it was impressive to us. Like this is gonna blow everyone's minds, you know. <laughs> And it was just like, no, it did it, 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 no such thing. But that pretty much covers uh, the vast majority of this film and a few other things in between. Oh, yeah. yeah as always. <laughs> oh, it's fun, dude. I mean, like I say, Van Damme hasn't really been touched on this show yet. So uh, having little snippets of other films was a, a welcome addition because I've gone off topic on some of the other actors and I don't think Van Damme's ever been mentioned. I mean, it's funny, but... I've mentioned Steven Seagal so many times because he's so easy to dunk on, but because yeah. Van Damme isn't, uh, you you just don't have reason to bring his name up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, like, uh, um, I remember uh, uh, we've done four episodes on Van Damme movies on Cinema Junkies. Um, I, the last one we did was Time Cop, and right, uh, and, and it's in the episode two, I left it in because I thought it was hilarious. Um, we were talking about like that was like our fourth Van Damme movie we talked about, and Mac goes, "Uh, 
yeah, yeah, my wife said that Rob got a thing for Van Dam, doesn't he? And I was like, I do, I do have a thing for Van Dam. <laughs> yeah, I really yeah. like that episode on Time Cup, by the way. So if, if listeners have not heard it, go rectify that right now. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I very much enjoyed talking Time Cup and just Van Dam in general, you know, because Van Dam is my guy, as I've said. You know, so uh, I'll definitely be doing more Van Damme movies in the future. You know, I just I just can't get enough of Van Damme. And also, uh, like like I told you, if you, you you need me to talk Van Damme on here, I'd be more than welcome. As long as it's not derailed. I I yeah, that's fine. I don't think I've ever seen derailed. So don't don't. It, it's his worst movie. I well, I say that I I have this vague memory that maybe I did, but again, if it was it, one it, of his. It, gone it's it's basically his version of under siege 2 oh okay and, and it's and it's awful it's like it's almost like that was the moment where he realized yeah careers in the fucking shitter i need to pivot because after that he started doing like in hell and until death you know where, where he really you know started focusing more on the acting instead of doing like you know purely action stuff so i said like i truly believe like this is where derailed is where he realized um yeah i gotta fucking i gotta you know recalibrate and just you know start focusing on something else because this is really bad you know saying like derailed is really like there's literally like like a toy train in it like i, it I have seen train. derailed oh yeah like you see you see what i mean people like i mentioned the toy train and he's like yeah i see that shit <laughs> it's, it's, well yes but also i was looking it up while you were talking because i th- i was convinced that i had seen it i'm 99 percent confident this is one of those films that my granddad just bought you know for like a pound in an in a shopping center um and you know i had van damme on the front cover so of course it's got to be at least half decent and i distinctly remember the two of us going no it wasn't. <laughs> but, but no, let, let me let me tell you. Let me tell you. Uh, um, I I had a a, a girlfriend, ex girlfriend. We're still friends though. But um, me and her uh, actually um, like uh, you know, what's the what's the term I'm looking for? Like we not started dating, but like you know, as like you know, we started you know talking and all that stuff because of, we both shared a love for Van Damme. Like I love Van Damme movies, she loved Van Damme movies, and that that's how we started talking, which eventually led us to dating. So the first time I go over to her house, uh, I'm going through her movie collection because that's I'm a weirdo like that. Like, you know, what's the kind of collection this person has? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm always interested in that. And she had derailed. I'm like, oh, why do you have this? She's like, it's Van Damme. You know what I'm saying? Like, did you just recently buy this? Can you take this and get your money back? Yeah. Like. She had never seen it. Like, like I said, she just bought it because she saw Van Damme on the cover. It's like, oh, it's Van Damme, you know. And it's like, no, dude, no, no, don't ever watch this. I don't think she, she, she has watched it at all. Like, you know, like I scared her off into watching it. I was like, you know, I did my good deed for that day, and so I prevented her from watching Derailed. I mean, I hate to fucking, you know, stop people from watching Van Damme movies, but it's like, yeah, there's no need to watch that movie at all. That is like the worst thing he's ever done. Yeah. Worst. Yeah. No, I, I distinctly remember not liking that. Um I, I like I said, there are some of his direct DVD stuffs and his two thousand stuff that I like. Uh some that I know other people don't, but yeah, no, I do remember derailed, like you say. I I, I didn't remember it as under siege two, but I I remember the train. 
Like I've yeah. watched it once and, and the train is what's stuck in my brain. <laughs> yeah. And there is literally a shot where it's like, it's a toy train. Like it's a model toy train and shit. And it's like, um, and damn, dude, what happened? I remember I, I, the first time I watched it, that was my fault. I'm like, damn, it's gotten that bad. And then, like I said, I swear he realized that too and shit because he really just kind of strayed away from that and started focusing more on his acting, which led to like stuff like In Hell and Until Death and Wake of Death and um, the, eventually JCVD, you know what I'm saying, where everyone like, yeah. kind of realized, oh shit, Van Damme can act his ass off. And I was like, well, Van Damme could always act his ass off. You know what I'm saying? You just was slow to realizing it. You know what I mean? I, I think it also helped, like, to, to end as off topic as we've, we've been, um, JCVD, it, uh, I always say this because I, I know some people have had similar reactions to certain films of Jackie Chan and uh, Schwarzenegger. I know a lot of people were surprised in Escape Plan and they and everyone was like, oh, my God, these people can act. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing how well they can act when they're not speaking a second language, guys. I think a lot of people forget that, that yeah. when you're having to think about speaking a language that is not the one you're used to speaking yeah some people can be fluent and get across all the emotion but 90 percent of people don't you know 90 percent of people can't even get the whole language memorized um right. and the fact that they're acting in a language that is not their own is something that i think people often don't take into account right right absolutely 100 percent agree and yeah jcvd i remember the first time i watched that that was just uh weird but a good weird but yeah i think that was around the time as well when foreign films and i mean non-english speaking films naturally when i say that <laughs> yeah yeah is uh they had started to become the rage and trendy like i remember fearless i think won an oscar like it was the first international film to win an oscar for some category i can't remember what and that was about about the same time so i think everybody was kind of like Oh, another film where it's it's foreign language. Let's get in on this trend, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that will about do it for this episode. I hope everybody enjoyed the off-topicness. Thank you once again, Rob, <laughs> for coming on and uh chatting cyborg and uh dozen other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very much well known for my fucking going off on tangents and shit. It's just, I got I I talk a lot. I'm a chatty pen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, what, what can I say? But yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for allowing me to come on here to talk uh, not just cyborg and just just talk a whole lot of other shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know, I know. I, I, um, it's just some hosts and shit. It's just like you got to stay on topic and shit. So I appreciate when uh, you know somebody like you just is like, hey, go nuts. I don't give a shit. And you know I'm saying, and it's, uh, you know, and it's always it's always a joy sitting there talking on you like you talking, you know, before. Um, and it, it it always seems to happen with us and Sue where we just just go off on forever, you know what I'm saying? Because we have a lot to say, you know, and, and we gel real well. So I really appreciate the, the you know you allow me to come on here and just you know speak my truth in, in in a way, you know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, um, you know me, like uh, I'm all, I'm already thinking about coming on here again and shit and doing it all over again and making three hour episodes talking about anything other than the topic <laughs> on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to be fair my attitude is um off topic is different to completely off topic like we yeah, we yeah. were talking about van damme and this yeah, this yeah. is about van damme like some people i and i don't want to be disparaging to other shows but i have listened to well i've tried to listen to some other shows and their off topic is 
you know, they spend 40 minutes telling you what they did at the weekend going shopping. And that's got nothing to do with film, nothing to do with the genre, nothing to do with the industry. And that's not me. Like if people start going off topic about that sort of stuff, no, I'm going to bring it back real quick. But if it's about film, if it's about other films, if it's about something that we can connect, I mean, even like when Mike was on for the Spider-Man episode, we spent 40 minutes talking about Daredevil, but there was a reason for that for people that still haven't seen it. You can work it out, but, <laughs> um, and you know, it, there's, there's always a link. Yeah, it, yeah. it might be a tedious link, but there is a link nonetheless. Absolutely. <laughs> so with that said, guys, I'm going to throw it back over to myself and let you know what's coming next week. Let you know, if there's anything else that needs to be said, hopefully I haven't, unlike last time, discovered that there's a load of edits and cuts to this film that I then need to tell you about. Because, uh, as I said to you, Invasion USA had all of those edits that basically yeah. confirmed that what me and you were talking about wasn't us going mad. It was actually what happened. It was the truth. It was like, I would have been really good to know <laughs> when yeah. we were talking. But yeah, on that bombshell, I'll leave you to me. Okay, there you go, guys. We've reached the end. That was our talk on Cyborg. Thank you once again to Rob for joining me. Rob is a great guy. Please go and check out the Cinema Drunkies podcast if you haven't. They appear to be on a bit of hiatus at the moment, but I'm sure they will be back. They do take a break every now and then. So if you've never listened to them, you've got plenty of episodes to listen to. They've covered some fantastic films, many of which I intend to cover myself. At some point, when they're back from their break, you will also hear myself on their podcast but uh even before then like i said these guys have been a mainstay in my own podcasting listens i love hearing their opinions on films uh they're just two great people to listen to so thank you once again to rob for coming on it's always a pleasure and i always have a blast and you can pretty much guarantee that we are going to overrun on time as we have done so in both episodes that he has been on i hope you enjoyed that conversation about van damme's career I actually ended up having to cut some stuff out because I wasn't entirely sure it would go down well in some of the things we covered. So I decided to just kind of take some of that out. So believe it or not, that was the edited version. So what's happening next week? Well, 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 before I talk about next week, you're going to get overloaded in uh, this week. Let me tell you why. At the time that this episode goes live, it will be a Monday. I can't guarantee that that's when you're listening to this, so if it's not, and it's some considerable time of the future, don't worry about it, but if it is Monday, and if it's still the same week, uh, on the Tuesday, I'm actually going to be appearing on the VHUS podcast, and we're going to be talking about Olivia Grunier's Savage, and that was a lot of fun, and surprisingly, kind of fits into the same mold as Cyborg, and a couple of films that we've got coming up on the horizon... But that's Tuesday, and then on Thursday, there's going to be another post from this podcast, and it is going to be the first interview stroke conversation with styled episode that we're having on. It's a bonus episode. Uh, Thursdays are going to be the bonus episode upload day. There won't be one all the time, but when there is one, they'll drop on a Thursday. This is both the first bonus episode and the first interview style of episodes the first, I hope, of many, there are some other people waiting in the wings that I'm very excited to, fingers crossed, hopefully get, but I don't have solid confirmation yet. So stay tuned. 
as for the actual next episode that will be next week, next Monday, that's going to be on 2022's The Batman. And Andy Gorham is coming back to talk to us about that. I originally was going to have that as a bonus episode, so it isn't quite the usual format. We do kind of go off on other Batman-related stuff, kind of similar to how myself and DBGeek did the Mortal Kombat episode, if you've heard that one, where we were more than happy to talk about Mortal Kombat as a whole. We kind of do that with Batman, but in a bit more of a structured way. As I said, it was originally intended to be a bonus episode, but the more we got talking the more it felt like this should just be a normal episode. And it's pretty long, so I was like, you know what, this is just a regular episode with some bonus features at this point. That's what's going to be next week's episode, so I hope you look forward to that. Look forward to Thursday's special release, and as I say, if you enjoy this podcast, you should definitely go and check out the VHUS podcast. They've got some great episodes. They just did one at the time of recording on Psycho Gorman, which was fantastic, and that in and of itself is a fantastic film. So yeah, you might find some cool stuff over there, but that's going to be enough from me. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end. I really do appreciate it, but I will see you in the next one. Take care of yourselves, guys, and I will see you, well, very, very soon, depending on how uh, deep you want to go. On the action.